Go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> now, I, I know <clears throat> I absolutely terrified some of you guys with my Jim Cantore outfit that I came out on. I hope you've gotten over that. But some of you guys I know actually enjoy getting scared. Now, don't out yourself because you haven't heard what I'm going to say next. But I know, especially around this time of year, there's so many people who love scary movies, right? They're, they're, they're out there. And it's kind of a funny phenomenon because we spend most of our year in life trying not to be terrified or afraid, but every now and then we're like, I will pay money if you terrify me. Like, you scare me, I'll go into the haunted house and, I, and I'll give you my money and I'll pay for it. And Psychology Today kind of did a study on why is it that people do this? And they compared it to a couple things. First of all, they, they said people do enjoy being scared in a, in a safe setting uh, because they, they, they know that there's not actual real danger, but the experience of getting scared produces terror in them and it lets off all kinds of endorphins and dopamine in the brain and it gives a, a, a rush that is very similar to that which opioid users experience. So psychology today basically compared you people who like scary movies to heroin addicts. And so you can do with that what you will. It also says we enjoy that because it creates a false sense of closeness to whoever we watch the movie with. This is why guys like to take a date out to a scary movie because she gets scared and she grabs your arm a little bit and the guy's like, yeah, like, you know, doing well here. Really, she's just trying to feed you to the monster. She's like, you eat him first. Like, that's what's happening in that. But it actually does produce a little bit of a sense of like, we survived that together. And so that's one of the reasons why, why people will go into that. Another reason is just curiosity, like how bad is it? How scary is it? Can, can I make it through? And, and it's an interesting thing that our brain does in wanting to be scared because millions of dollars get spent every year with people trying to not be scared, to not be anxious, to not be worried. But in this one little category of time in October, we're like, scare me as much as you can, but then doctor fix me November through September. I need help because the fear that I want then has followed me all the time. The anxiety about the things of life, about the house and the, the new roof and the job situation and the school situation and the relationships and the anxiety that, that chases after us, it robs us of peace. And today I specifically want to talk about one area of anxiety and fear, the fear of the unknown of not knowing what will happen, not knowing what will come next, not knowing how this situation might turn. And it's this area of anxiety that connects into the way that you relate with God, but it also connects into the way you're dealing with your present situation. Because so many of us, I want to say this as tenderly as I can, but we still feel like we don't know God. We operate our life in a way, it's like we're trying to do things that might make him happy, but we're still just not sure what will make him happy with us. And so we're just kind of taking shots in the dark. Maybe if when someone sneezes, I say, God bless you really loud, that will be something that God likes. Maybe if I dress really nice, maybe if I pretend to be perfect around other people, Maybe if I throw some money in the offering plate, maybe one of these things might make God happy, but I'm just not really sure. And I, I follow the, the traditions of the, the things that my family did before me in regards to church. 
I smell the incense, I go to the certain events, and I do the things, I say the certain prayer that's always been prayed, and maybe if I do some of these things, God will be happy, and I want today's message to just provide some clarity about life and about your relationship with God. Things that are unknown can be known. Specifically, uh, as I, the passage we're going to look at today is in Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you can turn there uh, as I give some context. Acts 17, starting at verse 22. What's happening, the Apostle Paul in this situation had been in Athens and he had been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, good background to know as we get into this passage to bring a new message of a new way to connect to God into Athens was against the law. And the law was in forced without mercy in this area. In fact, as he's been sharing it, he's now being, being brought uh, up, into the, uh, up b- before judgment um, where, where part of the oath of giving testimony in front of these men was that you would swear to tell the truth under penalty of being brutally put to death for perjury. Like you might have a traffic ticket, but if you lied about your traffic ticket, they will take you apart. But not just you, your family. The way that testimony worked in this court was also that you weren't allowed to incite emotion. It was just the information. And so it was a very serious area that he was brought up to. We're going to pick up in verse 22. And it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives every gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of our, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, religious people are often very worried people, and the people of Athens were considered to be very religious. They practiced this religion where they wanted to make sure all of their bases were covered, all of the boxes were checked, and they had altars set up to different gods, and just in case they missed one, they had this altar to an unknown god. And it creates an interesting situation in the Areopagus where Paul is giving this testimony because one of the things they're looking for is he bringing a new message, and Paul was, was well-educated, and he was very crafty in the way that he delivered this. And he connected the dots, and he said, I'm talking to you guys today about this altar you have set up to an unknown God. It, it's not anything new. It's something that you've already been doing. You've been bringing worship, and you've been bringing sacrifice here to this unknown God. But I'm going to tell you that this unknown God has made himself known to you. And they they would have piqued their interest because they have already been bringing some acts of worship. I mean, they spent the time and they spent the money and resources to build this altar. And so they're leaning forward and saying, okay, tell me about this unknown God. And I want to begin to say that it should seem foolish to us to say, 
Let's build an altar to a God that we don't even know. Let's buy gifts for a person we don't even know. Let's order food for a person that we don't even know. If you don't even know what they like, how are you going to get them anything? And it's interesting because so much of the way that we live our life in regards to worshiping God, the community at large, it's done in this blind fashion of maybe God will like this. Even within the church, there's this tendency of, I'm coming to church and, and so, you know, I, I need to spray on extra cologne because I smoked a cigarette on the way here and I don't want people to know that. I'm coming into church and you, we're, I'm going to sit with my spouse even though we've been separated all week because I don't want people to know that. I'm going to come into church and I'm going to pretend like everything is fine, even though everything is breaking apart. And we do that because it's a sense of obligation that we don't want people in the church to see a mess. And it's like there's these thoughts that I need to present in a way to honor God amongst his people that is not true to where I currently am. And I want to tell you that when you feel like to honor God, you need to pretend to be something that you're not. It's, it's as if you're serving a God that you do not know. Because God has made himself clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament that it is a foundation to the worship that you bring before him of where your heart is. And may, maybe this is a tough passage to be one of my favorite ones from the Old Testament, but when God looks to Israel and, and, and he says to his people, I hate all your songs, I hate your festivals, I hate your worship because your heart is far from me. It's clarifying to me. I love the passage because it's clarifying and it says God cares where your heart is turned. And if you're doing something, if you're living your life before God in a way that says, I do this because it's tradition, because it's ritual, because it's just what I've always done, God takes no joy. He takes no worship from that. And so the idea of saying, I'm going to just do things to bring worship before a God that I don't even know, but I just want to maybe please him. The first thing, the most beautiful thing, the most foundational thing that you need to do in the way that you live your life for God is to figure out how to be connected to him. And when I say connected to him, he has sought after you. The end of the passage begins to talk about that, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that God has been doing things so that you might seek after him. But what, what, what starts as unknown, what starts as unknown for the people in Athens and what started as unknown for you in the way that you lived your life, there should, become, there should reach a point where you say, God is not someone that I don't know, but he is someone that I know personally because he has made himself known. God has reached into your life time after time. It's amazing to think through all of the different moving pieces that had to occur today for you to be here listening to this message. And whether it's me or anyone else speaking here, I've seen it time and time again that God orchestrates this like a symphony of moving pieces to where he will share the word that you need to hear to challenge you to take a step forward. And in his love and mercy, I know that you've heard the challenge from God, the calling from God so many times, and you've been like, nope, not today, God. But in his love, he keeps speaking, he keeps knocking, he keeps drawing, he keeps moving in your heart, challenging you to take a step. And this step, and this is the, the first clarifying thing about knowing God. The step that God calls you to take isn't just a step of obedience, but it's a step of a relationship. 
God isn't interested in just the songs that you can sing, the things that you can give, and the things that you can do. Desire is for you to be described as his dearly loved adopted child. God so loved you that he sent his son. And we've treated God as though, you know, it, it, he's just the, this thing that is out there that we, we, we acknowledge once in a while. And, and the Apostle Paul is breaking this concept down with the men of Athens. And, and he's saying this altar to the unknown God, he, he has made himself known. In verse 24, he, he continues, and we'll put this on the screen. It, it says, the God who made the world... Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. When the hurricane was going by, I, I know better, and I know it was a foolish thing to do, but, and I know so many of you guys are foolish like me, but there's a moment in time where the hurricane's going by where you're like, I just have to open the door. Like, <laughs> I, I know, that people on the live stream, they will not get it, but if you're here in Florida, there's just this compulsion, you know it's wrong, but at least once, you've got to stick your head out and feel the 100 mile per hour wind. And, and, and it's terror, like it's crazy. Like it produces that sense of terror in you a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. And so, of course, I, I'm going to nerd out on these things a little bit. But there's a part of my heart that just straight up entered into worship during that time. Like there, there's just this reverence of like this hundred plus mile per hour storm. This isn't even the smallest capacity of a demonstration of God's power. Like, he is the Lord of heaven. Like, he, he, he spoke the universe into existence. He set the stars into place with a word. And this storm, as powerful and as terrifying and as, as destructive as it is, it is not even a glimpse of his power. And this is an important realization because when you recognize this God that is tremendously powerful, cares specifically and intimately about you, it should change the way that you address your day. I, I, I'm a... I'm a guy, and so my mentality is slow on this. Women are usually faster, but there's part of me that every time I recognize I need to pour my heart out to God in prayer, I have this battle of, Paul, does it really matter when you say your prayers to God because he already knows and you already know, and it's not a transference of new information, so what are you really doing? Well, what's happening is I'm engaging in a conversation that has more benefit for me than him. I'm not fixing any issues from him but I'm laying them out and there's this reality that when I enter into the presence of God and I move all the distractions out and I lay, you know, this person is acting a fool and they're messing up my day and they're messing up my attitude and it's all their fault and I don't like them and you should give them indigestion at night when they go to sleep and I'm talking through all of the issues with God and I'm in his presence. I begin to see my issues different when I'm discussing them with him. Just like when you discuss your issues with someone, you discuss them differently when you're talking about them versus when you're actually talking about them with them. Like we talk about things differently based on who's in the room. When your heavenly father's in the room, your heart begins to deal with your issues differently. And especially when you begin to see them in the scope of this is the Lord of heaven that I'm speaking to. This is the God whose power makes the hurricane look like nothing. 
And you're saying, God, can you work in this? And you, you begin, your faith begins to build up as you pour your heart out in prayer. He cares, he listens, he hears, and he acts. And so I should not be constrained by anxiety about this because I know my heavenly father has a plan. I know that he is a good father who has good things in store for his children so I can trust this into his hands. And so the anxiety that we feel, I believe that it it continues to well up. And as we talked about last week, anxiety is a signal that you need to take in action. Anxiety is a signal. And so when we let it well up and we don't deal with it time after time, when we finally begin to put it into the presence of God, it puts things into order in our mind. The passage, as it talks about, it it, it describes that, that God does not need temples built by human hands. He doesn't need anything from us. He has everything that he needs, but what we forget is that he has blessings for us that we've been unwilling to receive. And when I say that, some of our hearts are, have difficulty receiving it. And I want to tell you, God will let you walk through difficult times, but that does not mean he only has difficult times ahead for you. And in fact, one of the fruits, one of the, the things that naturally grows out of having the Holy Spirit in your life is peace and joy. And maybe God will allow you to walk through the rebuilding process that is difficult on your heart But what he says, even when you walk through difficulties, even when you go through suffering, I will not leave you or forsake you. My spirit will be with you. And if his spirit is with you, then peace and joy is with you. And we've seen lots of people try to buy peace and joy with their money and they can't get it. And so when I say God has better things in store for you, I mean it. And if you have been going through this life living as though God is just this foreign entity that has no connection to your life, I want to bring you back to the reality that God is real, that he has been chasing after you, and he has something better for you than laying awake at night dealing with anxiety. He has peace and joy that has been waiting in store for you. But it requires us beginning to take steps. What the Apostle Paul is doing here, he has entered into a place where it would be easy to be constrained by anxiety because the people that he's speaking to could have him put to death for the message that he's sharing. But his his concern isn't about his safety right here. His concern is will they receive the message that I'm proclaiming? He's so sold out to, to the experience of what he's seen God do that he's not even thinking about the worry of what will they think. He's worried about will they receive it. And the men listening, they're, they're, I'm, I'm sure that they're in some ways offended because as he's saying, God doesn't live in temples built by human hands. Do you understand these are men who've dedicated their life to building temples? They've dedicated their life to serving at these altars? And the Apostle Paul is delivering this message that could lead him into more difficulty and he has not been a stranger to it. He's been beaten. He's been left for near dead at different points in his ministry. He has reasons to back away. He's gotten hurt before. What is it that would drive him to continue to share this message? It's that he's experienced the love and the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that God gives is greater than anything the world could ever do to him. And if you've been living your life thinking, I, I, have to, 
I have to appear like a Christian, but I want to live like the people who appear happy on the Budweiser commercials. And, I, and the, these people are doing this now, and so I'm going to act like them, and I'm going to dress like them, and I'm going to post like them on social media. And some big mix of the world and the Christian culture, if I mix it all together, I'll finally find happiness. I want to tell you, God has designed you, and he knows you intimately. God knows your heart, he knows your words, he knows your past, he knows your trauma, he knows your future, he knows your hopes, and he knows your dreams. And in fact, I would say that he has actually set hopes and dreams in your heart connected to the calling that he has ahead of you. And the desire for fulfillment that you have set in your heart, whether you think that fulfillment will come from a relationship or a job or a milestone, he knows that too. And if you think that you're going to grab a hold of true fulfillment outside of God's design, you have believed a lie. And maybe you've been chasing it for 10 years and you've reached a bottom point where you say, I just don't know how to escape anxiety. I just don't know how to find the happiness that I feel like I should have. I want to tell you, you've arrived at this point to hear the message that, that the Apostle Paul was proclaiming. In verse 27, he said, God did these things. He made himself known so that people like you and me, so that they would seek him, seek God, and perhaps reach out for him, though he is not far away from any any one of us. God has been orchestrating so many things in your life to bring you to a point where you would recognize your need for him. And some of you in your story, you would say, I know that point because I reached it a couple years ago where I finally said yes to God and things began to get on track. And you've experienced it and you have a story to tell. Some of you guys hearing this, you're like, God has just always been a place where I checked in. Like, I I go there on Christmas and Easter, and I know that he's up there, but he's not really been active here. And and this, this is new. And I want to tell you, you've got to figure this out. You've got to lean into this. You've got to give this some mental space to seek after it because God has been seeking after you. And this is the message that changes things. None of us, none of us could do enough good things to earn God's affection and love. You can't appear good enough. You can't have a perfect enough marriage. You can't have perfect enough kids. You can't have a good enough enough success in your career place. Your perfect attendance record at church, none of it is enough to win God's favor. And none of it is enough to deal with the sins and mistakes that we've made. But God so loved you that he sent his son to experience the suffering that we deserved. Jesus paid the penalty that we owed so that he could give us the new life that only Jesus could earn. The way that scripture says it is that when you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And it's not about the formal prayer, but it's about this moment, this time, this recognition that I have a debt of sin that I owe to God and that Jesus is the only one who could pay it. And when I allow Jesus to pay for my sin, I am now adopted into the family of God. 
And when you reach that point of recognition, Scripture says you become a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has arrived. But no one else can make this decision for you. No one else could pray that prayer for you. No one else, when you were a child baptizing you and saying a prayer, no one else can bring you there. There's a point that you have to arrive. And for all of us, God has been seeking. He's been calling. He's been moving. And it's interesting, the Apostle Paul ends and he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. There's so many things that even those who don't know God, they can get right. They can get right the fact that God is like a father. But it's one thing to know that God is like a father and it's another thing to know he is my father. It's one thing to know this is what fathers do. It's another thing to experience. This is what my father is doing in my life. And so much of our culture knows what it's like to grow up without a father and to have that hole there, to miss what should be happening, the lessons that should be taught, the love that should be transferred from one generation to the next. You know, um, I remember as a child, I grew up in a commercial fishing family, and when my dad was there, um, before my parents got divorced, it, it, I don't know why this memory stuck in my head, but it always has as a kid. Like, I just remember it vividly. We had gone to the boat to, to work on the engine, and uh, one of the other fishermen were there, and my dad, and as the other fisherman was getting off the boat, and I was kind of, you know, kind of doing my little jog towards the end of the boat, the fisherman was like, hey, Paul, will you grab that red toolbox for me? And I'm like... I'm skinny now, but then like a light breeze would have just blown me away. Like I was this tiny, skinny kid. And I'm like, sure. And so I'm just kind of skipping past and I go to grab the toolbox. And that toolbox, I would have sworn it was bolted to the floor. Like, I mean, like I almost did a handstand because I grabbed it and it was just like, like got jerked backwards. And the, the fisherman laughed and my dad laughed. And I was like, I'm not like, I'm obstinate. So I'm like, I'm going to get this toolbox. And so get both hands on it. And I'm just trying to like deadlift the thing up and it will not move. And my dad, you know, chuckling, just kind of walks by and did exactly what I was trying to do. And he just scoops it up with one hand, and like puts it up on the dock. And I'm like, that was an act of magic. Like what? Like that was impossible. Like how did you do that? And there, there's an obvious difference in our strength levels. And there, there's so many of us that it's like the anxiety or the problem that we've had in our life. Like we have had both hands on it and we have been exerting ourselves, and we have just been bound up with stress, with fear, with worry, with you name it, with the sin, with the addiction, whatever it is. It's like it's had that grip and, and we just can't move our problem. And we know that a father could, but we've refused to invite our father into the situation to actually move the issue. And today's message is simple. It's, it's, it's the message of the gospel. That what was unknown becomes known. And once you have your heavenly father active in your life, when you invite him to be an active father in your life, you're going to experience things like this, where it's like, I have been dealing with that worry and that fear of the unknown for so long, and I could not move it. But when I allowed God to be who he wants to be in my life, he just reached down and he moved it right out of my life when I spent years trying to do it on my own. There's this truth that when you finally get yourself connected to God, you experience his hand, his work, his love, his mercy, his joy, and his peace. 
And right now, I know so many of us have been searching for peace, but we've been searching it in the wrong places. I want to close things up with, with this one little piece of the message that was so, this one part of the passage that was so easy to pass by. It says that, that God, that in him, we move and live and we have our being. I believe that's where peace is found. So when you say my life and his life, like they're just intertwined. It's not that there's a heavenly father. It's that I have a heavenly father. And in him I move and I live and I breathe and he works and he, he performs things that I thought were impossible. And his hand is on my life. But we enter into that relationship with a step, with, with a recognition. It's not done on accident. And so today, I just, I want to I challenge, I want to encourage, I want to push because I want the best for you. I want you to critically ask yourself, is my relationship with God right? Like, have I been doing it his way or have I been trying to do it my way? Have I been just throwing, you know, God bless yous and here's a dollar in the plate and, you know, try not to be mean to the person. I'll let them in when they're trying to get in on the highway. Like, and that's how I honor God. No, God has something specific. This is how it starts. When you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that is the beginning. And so have you started there? Have you prayed there? And then have you followed him forward from there? Let's bow our heads and just have a moment of prayer. And I I would never do anything to embarrass or draw attention to you, but I'm going to ask that if today you feel like you need to take a step forward in your faith, or you need to get started in your faith for the first time, for the real time, I'm going to ask in just a moment that you would lift up your hand, but I want you to start thinking about it. And God, would you just begin to convict our hearts and give us the courage to put a physical action to the spiritual decision that we need to make today? So Holy Spirit, convict hearts and move move minds. And for those of us who need to get back on the road or start for the very first time with with that declaration and that recognition that Jesus, you are Lord. God, you did raise him from the dead to pay for our sins. If today you are getting back and following God or or for the first time, would you just raise your hand for just a moment so I can see who I'm praying for? I see you, I see you. Father, I pray for those that are making the decision to follow you today. I pray that you give them courage to step into this and I pray that there would be blessings that they did not expect. I pray that there would be healing that they did not anticipate. I pray that they would sense that your presence is with them and that there would be no room for anxiety in their heart or their mind. We thank you that healing is experienced when we take that step in following you. And God, we are thankful that as Revelations 3.20 says that you've been at the door and knocking. And Father, as we have heard your call, we respond today. And as we respond, would you just fill our hearts and our minds with life? We thank you for the message of the gospel that transforms our lives and is at work today in Jesus' name.